0: Reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 11, verses 19 through 26, and chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch. And began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and talked great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers Barnabas Simeon called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. La lectura de hoy viene del libro de hechos capítulo 11, versículos 19 al 26, y capítulo 13, versículos 1 al 3. Los que se habían dispersado a causa de la persecución que se desató por el caso de Esteban, llegaron hasta Fenicia, Chipre y Antioquía, sin anunciar a nadie el mensaje, excepto a los judíos. Sin embargo, había entre ellos algunas personas de Chipre y de Cirene que, al llegar a Antioquía, comenzaron a hablarles también a los de habla griega, anunciándoles las buenas nuevas acerca del Señor Jesús. El poder del Señor estaba con ellos, y un gran número creyó y se convirtió al Señor. La noticia de estos sucesos llegó a oídos de la iglesia de Jerusalén, y mandaron a Bernabé a Antioquía. Cuando él llegó y vio las evidencias de la gracia de Dios, Se alegró y animó a todos a hacerse el firme propósito de permanecer fieles al Señor, pues era un hombre bueno, lleno del Espíritu Santo y de fe. Un gran número de personas aceptó al Señor. Después partió Bernabé para Tarso en busca de Saulo, y cuando lo encontró, lo llevó a Antioquía. Durante todo un año se reunieron los dos con la iglesia y enseñaron a mucha gente. Fue en Antioquía donde a los discípulos se les llamó cristianos por primera vez. En la iglesia de Antioquía eran profetas y maestros, Bernabé, Simeón, apodado el Negro, Lucio de Sirene, Manaén, que que se había criado con Herodes, el tetrarca, y Saulo. Mientras soñaban y participaban en el culto al Señor, el Espíritu Santo dijo, Ahora a Bernabé y a Saulo para el trabajo al que los he llamado. Así que de ayunar, orar e las manos, los
1: well, we have the blessing and privilege of having a, a guest speaker, guest preacher here with us this morning. You've already met him, uh, but it's Reverend uh, Randy Neighbors. Uh, who was kind to let us interrupt his family weekend as he came down together with his wife, Joan, or came up, I guess, right? Got to be geographically accurate here. They're coming up from Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, to uh, see their family be a part of this baptism. And I asked if you would, please... uh, preach for us and bring the Word of God to us. And one of the reasons why it was my joy to do that is because in so many ways, uh, Randy and Joan's ministry, their life, all that they've been a part of, has uh, shaped so much of the vision of this church. Uh, And so grateful for who they've been to me as a mentor and as a brother and sister in so many ways. Uh, They are currently in Chattanooga, have been ministering at New City Fellowship for over 35 years now, is that right? Uh, And originally from the Newark, New Jersey area, and are also the parents of Garrett and Kimiko neighbors, and a joy to have them together with us. So Randy, why don't you come up here, and uh, let me pray for you to bring the word to us. Father, we thank you for your word, which you call a sword that pierces our hearts. I pray that you would do that today because we need uh, our hearts to be open to you. And we can't do that ourselves. We need your spirit to do that. So I pray that you would do that as Randy brings the word. I pray that you would fill him with your spirit. I pray that you would give him all the help that he needs to communicate uh, the gospel straight from your heart. Uh, your words upon his lips, into our hearts, transforming our lives. Do this for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Which one would you like? That one? It's a little harder to adjust.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Now, I do want to give you permission to talk back to me during my preaching. They're like, you know, appropriately. Uh, So there are certain times maybe you should say amen, and uh, maybe there are other times you should. Um, I do If you have a Bible uh, or if you have your bulletin, keep it open there to uh, our reading that we had this morning from the book of Acts. First of all, let me say that I bring greetings from my, my church in Chattanooga, New City Fellowship, and we're part of a network of urban cross-cultural churches uh, that uh, really care about poor people. And um, we're trying to grow that network. And so we were really thrilled when we met Pastor Duke and when our uh, son uh, came to Grace and then was part of the beginning of this church plant. We are just proud of you and thankful to God for what the Lord is doing among you. And so I just want to say, keep going. Don't give up. And if you're new here, I hope that the Holy Spirit will draw your heart to be part of the community and that you'll feel really at home here. There is so much challenge in our cities, and Washington is one of the great cities of the world, and it really needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that every poor community, every community of need in the world, needs a gospel-driven, loving, relevant church planted in its midst. And uh, can you imagine what the world would be like if every neighborhood had a church like that? We don't need any more irrelevant churches. We need churches that really make an impact and really live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can only do that by the power of God's grace. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now today, uh, for your delight, I have seven points. And, uh, and uh, as they say in Sesame Street, today is brought to you by the letter S. Uh, and I'm going to give you my points straight up so that, uh, uh, and we'll go back over them, of course, but the first one is spread out, second spoke out, three sought out, four stood out, five sent out, Six is stood up, and seven is smoothed out. Okay, so those are my points. And the title of the sermon today is called Mixing It Up in Antioch. And Antioch is basically an example that calls us uh, to be a dynamic cross-cultural church. Uh, It it is uh, one of the great churches in the Bible. And if if you are familiar with the Bible and the New Testament, you will know that a lot has to do with cities and that churches in various cities are really the basis of the New Testament. Paul writes letters to the churches in various cities. And things happen (coughs) in those cities that are very important in the history of the church. Of course, the church at Jerusalem. Uh, was a a, a tremendous church. God did miracles there, and one of the things that the church at Jerusalem was famous for was caring for each other. Uh, They shared their food house to house. Uh, Nobody called anything that was his 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 own, but they sold it and gave to those who were in need, and they were the church that really invented the deacons when there were widows who were hungry and was an ethnic issue there but they solved it and they were a church famous for caring for their own uh some of you have read uh the corinthian letters and corinth is sort of a a church that was famous for trouble uh they were uh, famous for having fights uh you know choosing sides uh they were sort of infamous for having sin and uh and, and I can really relate to Corinth. They're probably more like my church than the other churches. But uh, um, every church in some way reflects what went on in these very early churches. But then there's the church at Antioch. And it's really a, a cool church. I, I really like the church at Antioch. Um, one of the things you need to know in the background is something had happened in the book of Acts right before... Uh, the reading that we had this morning. And, it, and it's significant because uh, the gospel writer, his name is Luke, is also the writer of the book of Acts. And he is on purpose setting this story in a context. And that context begins really with the whole issue of who is the gospel for? Is it for Jewish people or is it also for Gentiles? And if it is for Gentiles, what do Gentiles have to do to really become believers in this Jewish Jesus? And so the story is told uh, in chapter 10 of the Apostle Peter. And the story goes like this. Peter uh, goes up to the roof, and he's, he's taking a siesta, he's taking a nap, and he goes into a trance, and it's a vision. And in this vision, God sends a sheet down full of animals and it lowers down from heaven. And and a voice comes from heaven and says, "Uh, Peter, kill and eat. And the problem with this was that some of these animals were unclean. Uh, You know, if you know anything about the Jewish people, you know there's there's kosher food and there's stuff that's not kosher. There's stuff that is clean uh, that they can eat and there are other things that they're forbidden to eat. And here God himself is telling this Jewish man, eat! And Peter, as a good Jew, he says to God, no! You know, I'm not going to touch anything like that. And God says, don't call anything that I've made unclean. This happens three times, so that he really gets the point. Now, right after he wakes up, just coincidentally, you know, if you read the Bible, there's a lot of luck and coincidence. I'm being sarcastic. Uh, God is sovereign. He brings things together. And he has by design, at the same time, Peter's going through this, this spiritual experience, there is a Gentile who is a Roman centurion, and uh, he is a, 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 a devout man, the Bible says. He he evidently prays a lot. You know, people have this argument, does God hear non-Christians when they pray? And, uh, you know, I sure hope so, or else none of us would get saved. You know, because when we pray, we're not saved to, to call on God. And Cornelius evidently was seeking God, and he was devout. He was doing good deeds, and... Uh, the Lord uh, basically spoke to him and said, "Go to Joppa. You'll find a house of Simon the Tanner. There's another man named Simon in it, and his name is Peter as well. And, and And ask him to come to your house. and And so Cornelius does that, and he sends some guys, and they knock on the door, and they they tell Peter, they say, Peter, there's three guys here looking for you. And he comes down, and what? And they're Gentiles. And and you know, and every time. Uh, for a real, a, a, a really committed Jew, the whole interaction with Gentiles is nervous. You know, because if you're a Jew, you are not allowed even to enter the home of a Gentile. That's how separated they were. And so uh, Peter says, why? And they said, well, the Lord told us to come get you and come, come to the house and Peter begins to, things start clicking. He goes, okay, I just had this vision. Gentiles show up. Okay, I'm going to go. And uh, he, he goes with them to Cornelius' house. And he, you know, he nervously walks into a Gentile's house. And he says, why did you send for me? And he said, the Lord told us that we should call on you and you would tell us the word of God. And, and, and Peter gets it. And he said, now I know what the vision meant. I know that what God has made is not unclean, and I want to tell you about Jesus. And as He tells them about Jesus, the Holy Ghost comes upon the whole household, and they all evidently start speaking in tongues. Something incredible happens, and and the place, uh, you know, you, you, Peter knows. Wow! And then he says, "Okay." If God is here, let's baptize them. So just what happened today? They get water. They baptize these people. And then the other believers, the Jewish believers, the apostles, find out. And at the beginning of chapter 11, Peter has to explain what he did. And he says, I realize there is no difference. You know, that... Phrase occurs several times in the Bible. It, one of the things it says there is no difference. It says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All human beings have that in common. But now, this wonderful good news: there is no difference. God is willing. God is able. God is ready to save anybody from any culture, any ethnicity, any language if they will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. And so, then we come to this portion of chapter 11. That sets the context for what the story is about Antioch. And it it sort of jumps back. Luke doesn't even sort of help us and make the connection. Oh, by the way, I told you the story of Peter, because now I'm going to tell you the story of Antioch. You know, he doesn't do that. He says, now there were some folks who were scattered, okay, and, and this is my first point. They were spread out. There were Christians at Jerusalem who, when Stephen was martyred, and uh, do you remember that story? I'm not going to tell you, you have to look it up. Uh, Stephen got killed, and. Uh, when he was killed uh, by, the, really, the Jewish leaders, there was a persecution. And there was a guy, as part of that persecution, whose name was Saul. And he held the coats of the people who had killed Stephen. And they were trying to arrest the believers. They were trying to take, take their uh, property. They were trying to imprison them, even kill them, if necessary, to suppress this whole gospel stuff, all of this uh, Christian stuff. When they weren't even called Christians yet, but it was like a, a, a sect or a cult of Judaism. And and so Saul was going crazy doing this. Now, we learn after that, of course, that Saul on the road to Damascus to arrest more people, Jesus met him, and he was wonderfully saved. And at first, uh, the Christians didn't trust him because he had been a persecutor. And, and so he sort of, on the sidelines. He's sort of off studying and, and getting right with God. In the meantime, some of these people that Saul himself had chased out of Jerusalem. They, they spread out. They went to the island of Cyprus. Uh, they went to northern parts of Africa. They, they, they went up to Antioch. Now it says this in our reading. It says that some of them, when they went to these different places, they only spoke the gospel to the Jews. Those were the only ones that, you, that they would tell about Jesus. They, they would purposely go into a city or a town, and they would say, okay, where's the synagogue? And they you now these were believers. They had come to faith in Jesus, and they would go to their fellow Jews and say, the Messiah has come! But they wouldn't talk to Gentiles. But here the Bible says... But some of them, and and the some of them are interesting folk, they are not listed as the Jews who really lived in Judea, they they are the Jews who had lived among Gentiles, they were uh, uh, believers, Jewish believers who lived in Cyprus, Jewish believers who lived in what today we call Libya or North Africa and Phoenicia, all of the northern coast there, they had Their their whole life had been lived among Gentiles. And they didn't think it a big deal that when they found Christ, that they would share Jesus with other Gentiles. But it was a big deal. And so they start sharing Jesus. And here's the incredible thing. The Gentiles start getting saved. They start coming to Jesus. Now you might, uh, if you are a Christian, you might think, man, that's awesome, that's great, praise God. But did you know getting people saved can cause trouble? Can, you know, I, I was at a church uh, recently in South Carolina. It's a very middle class church, very well off, very white. And uh, they had me come to do a weekend to try to uh, encourage them in mercy ministry and and they said oh uh, Randy, we've we, we got this great homeless ministry and so they took me out on Sunday afternoon, which they I think one Sunday a month they feed the homeless and it was really fun and they had, I mean and these are PCA people, so they are super organized you know they 've got teams for everything everything is on clockwork you know and they, they got who 's going to bring who 's going to drive the food who 's going to serve the food who 's going to set up the table tables, you know, they're all split up into teams, very PCA. And they they get out there and they they serve the food, you know, and and they let me get a chance to to give my testimony and and share Christ with these folk. And and later that night, when we came back for the sermon, I said, now suppose all of those people got saved today and they came to church next week. You know, a hundred homeless people show up. What would you think? And somebody said, oh, hallelujah said really and they came back the next week and the next week don't you think that would change the culture of your worship service don't you think that uh you know the nice pew that you you know you always sit in the same i don't know maybe already here at grace Marine, you always sit in the same row you know you know exactly your seat and uh you know you're praying god we need more people but if somebody sits in your seat you're mad you know that's that's what happens to some folk and Well, this is what happened at Antioch. All of a sudden, something very different happens. It's not just Jewish anymore. It's mixed. They had spread out and they had shared the gospel. They spoke out. They spoke out in several ways. They spoke out to those who were different than themselves. They told the gospel to different folk. One of the challenges in a cross cultural church is just simply this dynamic that if we continue to do the same thing every week, nothing different will happen. What I mean by that is if uh, this, so far, this crowd is predominantly white, but it is mixed. Praise the Lord. I want you to know you're already different than most of the churches in the United States. 95% of congregations in the United States are only one ethnicity. They are only one color. So you are already taking a step uh, either back to the Bible or into the future. I don't know which way you want to go. uh, But praise God for that. But if you really want to make an impact on this community then you've got to do what these early believers did. You have got to make an exception. Not do business as usual. That you're going to speak to somebody different than you. That you're going to seek them out. That you're going to share Jesus with them. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm intimidated to speak to anybody even who's like me, let alone somebody who's not like me. Any of you struggle with sharing your faith with non-Christians? It, it, it is a little intimidating. Cross-cultural ministry only happens if you have intention to make it happen. The word intentionality is crucial. If you want to be a cross-cultural congregation, you will have to be intentional about crossing racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic lines. You got to pray about it, you got to think about it, and you got to talk to somebody. And that's what they did. So, moving on, I've told you they spread out, they spoke out, but then it says here in our text that when Barnabas, you know, it got back to Jerusalem, and it said, you know what those folks up there have done? They have changed the whole thing. Okay, Peter went to Cornelius. Okay, we got excited about that, but. We don't know what happened to Cornelius. We don't know where he went to church. But all of a sudden it gets back to the leaders in Jerusalem that they're leading Gentiles to Christ and they're going to church together. Lord have mercy. And so they come. They, the word gets to Jerusalem and they said, Barnabas, you know, he's sort of the troubleshooter, get up there and find out what's going on. So he goes up to Antioch And he said, "What happened?" And they start telling him. And you know, Gentiles start getting up and said, "Man, I was saved. You know, I was on crack cocaine, and they didn't have that then. But you know, (laughs) whatever they were smoking in those days, you know, you know, God was saving people, and they were being converted, and, and and they were happy about it. They were praising God about it. And when he saw the grace of God among them, he was glad." And he you know and then he encouraged them and and basically you know he goes up maybe they thought put a stop to this and he goes up and says keep going and then he says i've got to get help you you people need training you need the word you need to grow in your faith but I, i'm not enough for this so he goes and seeks out he sought out that's my third point he sought out Saul remember Saul who had helped kill Stephen. Some of these very same people had run away from Jerusalem because of him, had come now to Antioch to lead people to Christ. And who does Barnabas go to get to now disciple the very people who ran away from him? He goes to get Saul. And he brings him now. Saul is a different man. He's saved. Later on, we will know him as Paul. And he comes to Antioch with Barnabas, and they began to teach the Word of God. Barnabas was a good man, full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. His, son, his name means son of encouragement. And you know, that's what every church needs. You're going to need that. You are going to need sons of encouragement. You're going to need people who will go and lay hands on people say, We need you. You have a role to play. And I just want, you know, for Pastor Duke's sake, I just want you to know that a church planner he needs everybody. <laughs> he needs all hands on deck. He, he needs people who will stand up and and, and, and people who will take hold of, of responsibility. And he, as God anoints him, part of his job as a pastor is to lay hands on you. Uh, to come, you know, that's the thing, a scary thing about a pastor. You know, you a pastor comes up to people and says, Brother... I see that you're gifted. We need you, and you know. And don't ever say to him, "Well, I'm waiting on the Holy Ghost." That would the Holy Ghost just spoke to you through your pastor. Okay, so it's coming. Watch out. So they spread out, they spoke out, they sought out, and they stood out. Verse twenty-six of chapter eleven. It says then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and when he found him he brought him to Antioch so for a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch they stood out they became known as followers of Christ i want you to understand it is not an accident that god puts people into churches Churches are not an aberration of Christianity. They are the heart of Christianity. They are the arena of Christianity. In Ephesians 3, we're told that even spiritual forces look at the church to see the unfolding of the mystery of God. And what is that mystery? That God is bringing all kinds of people, all kinds of nationalities together in one. That that's part of the plan of God from the creation of the world. We are not uh, just incidental to God's sovereign plan. We're, we are the plan, and the church is the demonstration that the gospel works. You know, it's one thing for you to be a Christian on your own. Yeah, you, you know, you can get in Bible studies or whatever, or you can just be an internet Christian, you know, or a, a tape Christian, you know, or. Uh, Uh, an iPod Christian, whatever kind of, you know, you just be so individualistic. But how will anybody know that you love one another if it's just you and Jesus? Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you are to be a city set up on a hill. And you don't take a light and hide it under a bushel. No, you are set up on a hill so that the pagans, non-Christians, would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So your whole life as a community is to be demonstrated to the broader world. And that that's not going to happen of us up here on the second floor. Okay, I don't see many non-Christians trying to, ladders, looking in the window... And, you know, saying, do they love one another? That's not how that happens. Okay? Now, occasionally, non-Christians come in, and they see our worship, and they see how we interact. That's very important. But what's even more important is how you live your life in the world, how you live your life in community. Do, do, are you in each other's homes? Are you helping each other raise your kids? Are you at each other's bedside when you're sick? You know, are you standing with and for each other? This is what love is about. And believe it, the world watches. They stood out. They were called followers of Christ first at Antioch. People noticed, what are those Gentiles and Jews doing together? Now notice this. Evidently, there were black people in the church. It it, it lists people. They said, this brother was called Niger. Niger. That's a place in Africa. And this brother was from uh, from North Africa, Cyrene. And, and, and there, were even, there was even a wealthy, connected brother in the church. We need a few of those every once in a while, especially for building programs. Yeah. Okay. Now, let me move on quickly. Chapter 5. Sent out. And by the way, I, I want to praise God uh, for the reality... Uh, you know, in, in, in American politics, we have so much, you know, people, one side is saying, you're playing class warfare, and the other side, you are class warfare. You know, it goes back and forth. And the beauty of, of, the, of a real church, the Church of Jesus Christ, is you can have millionaires sitting next to welfare folk and, and not exploiting each other and not abusing each other, but loving each other. And not just loving each other emotionally but also learning how to bring people out of poverty, you know. So that's, to me, what the demonstration of the gospel is about. Um, Chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the church in Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Every once in a while at New City in Chattanooga, people will say to me, Pastor, we have enough trouble in our own city. We have enough poverty here why are you encouraging folk to get on a plane and go somewhere else in the world and preach the gospel why should we send our money over there when we have so much need here and you know and there's legitimacy to that question because uh, for so many years uh, even in our own denomination people would send uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars for missions to africa and not want any black people in their own church And so there was hypocrisy there. Now here here you need to understand this. The gospel is always global. The gospel is always cross-cultural. The gospel is always a fire that cannot be contained. And part of your mission as a church is not just to be intense about this neighborhood, but to have a vision for the whole world. And in fact, part of your integrity of reaching your own community here will give you authenticity when you go somewhere else. What's really cool is to be in a church where there are people from Africa. So when we go to Africa, we're going to their house. We're going to their relatives. We got friends there. And we go as a mixed team. So I just, uh, I want to encourage you, uh, even though you're beginning and small, have a vision for the whole world. They were sent out. And then it says they stood up. You now, I'm, I'm, don't worry. We're getting close to the end here. Only two more points. You know, it, it, it's really funny. As soon as you start a church... It seems the devil comes calling. And uh, he'll start trouble. And sure enough, as soon as some folks down in Jerusalem heard that the Gentiles had come to Jesus, and then they had a mixed church, some of these folks said, you know what, we need to make Jews out of them. That's what we need to do. Now, now I want you to understand something. This, they had a theological issue, but it was also an ethnic issue. We continue to have those same kind of problems. We, we, we don't always know how to do church with crossing cultures. One way to, to do a cross-cultural church is basically to be a multi-ethnic church, but to be monocultural. Now, pardon me for this language, but what I'm saying is that you, you can have people of different colors and different ethnicities, but we're going to worship white today, okay? Okay. Because, you know, a white church, I mean, white people have the theology, white people have the hymns, white people have the organization. And if you're a real Christian, then you've got to be like us. And we don't mind y'all coming. Just be like us. That's not biblical Christianity. See, biblical Christianity is 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul says, Though I am free, I make myself a slave to everyone. To the Jew, I become like a Jew in order to win the Jews. And to those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, uh, to win those under the law. To those without the law, I become like one without the law, though I myself am under the law of Christ. To the weak, I become like one who is weak. I become all things to all men in order that I might by all means win some. And part of that slavery is not just a personal relationship, it's a cultural slavery. It's it's when I come to your house and I come to your language and I come to your nation, I say, teach me. I want to learn about you. I want to be your servant instead of making you like me. This is the strategy of cross-cultural ministry. It's always been there in the scripture. It's just that we have to keep relearning it. So sure enough, these people came up from Jerusalem to Antioch, and they said, you people are Gentiles. You've got to be circumcised if you really want to follow God. Now, we understand Jesus is the Messiah. We understand you had faith. That's all well and good, but you're really not there yet. you got to be like us. We don't mind you being a Gentile in the past, but now you got to be Jewish. And Paul and Barnabas stood up. And they got into a fierce dispute, the Bible says with them. And they sent, the the church said, what are we going to do? And they said, look, let's go back to Jerusalem, let's talk to the apostles, let's have this out. And they go back to Jerusalem, this is in Acts 15, and guess who's there? Peter. And Peter gets up and gives a testimony. And he said, do you remember Cornelius? Do you remember what God did? He showed us then, there is no difference. And so the apostles confirmed the gospel. And they said, we're going to write a letter. We're going to send a couple of brothers up there with you, including Silas. And they're going to explain this letter. We don't want you to become Jewish, to become a believer. You can be what God made you, but now you can have it redeemed. With the blood of Christ. You can be what you are in its fullness. You, to be a believer in Jesus does not mean I make you into a replica of myself. It means that you become like Christ. And so they smoothed it out. And the believers in Antioch rejoiced because the gospel is what counts. The gospel is what transforms culture. It doesn't destroy it, doesn't deny it, it enriches it. So whatever you are here today, whatever you've brought to church with you in the skin that you came in, Jesus has a plan for that. It's a blessing. The rest of the people here need it. Don't try to be something you're not. Just take what you got and offer it up as a sacrifice. Lord, it's yours. I'm yours. All I got is yours. And if you do that, you will be a beautiful church. Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks Pastor Randy. Let's stand together and let's marinate in this a little bit with this old hymn, how great thou art.
2: We'll have the music